0: Good morning. Once again, we welcome you to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back to our December, our Christmas series and study. It's entitled Promise. Promise. We've been studying promises in the Old Testament and their fulfillment in Jesus Christ in the New. God's prophets were amazingly accurate. We took a look at last week, uh, looking at that we can believe God's promises. We saw prophecies that were given hundreds of years in advance that came exactly and specifically true. So God, through his, prom- uh, his prophets as he gives promises, is accurate. You and I, not so much. You ever tried to guess what would happen in a game? You're watching a ball game or you know, you're watching something, a television show or a movie, and say, oh, I know it's going to happen. And a whole bunch of the times you're right and a whole bunch of the times you end up wrong. In fact, here's a couple of predictions made by what were supposed to have been some well-informed individuals uh, that came out rather wrong. Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM in some of the early years, many decades ago, said, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. I think that might have been proved a little bit wrong. In fact, uh, we might have five computers represented in our households. Whether that's a desktop or a laptop or a cell phone or a tablet of some kind, every single one of those would be more powerful than much of the early entry into the computer market. So that was certainly not so right. How about this? The Decca Recording Company made this prediction about a musical band in 1962. Their quote was this, we don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out. What band did they pass on? The Beatles. Probably the number one selling band of all time. So last week as we began the study about promises, what God gave promises in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New, we said we can believe God's promises. Today I want to challenge you to understand God's power his power, his might. Now, typically in a December study, in a December series, we're looking to Matthew and Luke's gospel. That's where the account of the birth of Jesus Christ, that's, that's where we're going to find Gabriel, the angel. We're going to find Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus and Herod and the wise men or the magi, the angels and the shepherds, right? All of that is typically contained in Matthew and Luke's gospel. Christmas story actually begins much much earlier and we looked at one of the promises, one of the prophecies last week. But the first promise was actually given in the very first book of the Bible, the first promise about a coming Messiah, about a coming savior, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So Rewind your mind way back to the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of Genesis. God's creating, and there's Adam and there's Eve. And in Genesis chapter 3, unfortunately, sin had taken place. You remember this? Adam and Eve did what? They ate of the fruit of the tree they should not have. And so there was judgment that was going on. And in the midst of the judgment, God was judging Adam, and God was judging Eve, because remember, God said, well, Adam, what did you do? What did he say? It that woman. She gave it to me. And then God said, well, Eve, what did you do? And what did she say? Well, it was that serpent. From the very beginning, we passed the buck. We passed. Spread the blame. We pointed fingers. And so there was judgment on Adam and judgment on Eve, and there was judgment on the serpent. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, here is the promise to the serpent. And see if this points to the Savior, the Messiah, that we would read about in the New Testament. The promise to the serpent is this. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity. Struggle, strife, hostility, conflict. There's going to be conflict between you and him, Satan. And between your seed and her seed, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Very first book of the Bible, three chapters in, and God is setting the stage for the Messiah that would be to come. The first promise here is Eve's offspring would destroy the power of sin. Offspring would end up being Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting as you're reading this, Genesis chapter 3 again, he says enmity is between you, the serpent, the enemy, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Now, not to get too technical, but typically in the Word of God and typically in physiology, the seed is of the man. Yet here in Scripture, Genesis chapter 3, God's already saying it's going to be between the woman's seed and your seed. In other words, there would not be a human man as a part of this offspring. Genesis chapter 3, way, way, way in advance, you want to talk about a little bit of foreshadowing? He's saying there's not going to be a human man involved in this offspring. This is going to be a God thing. So by the time we get to Matthew chapter 1 and we read about some of the Christmas story, Matthew continues to point back to the Old Testament. And in verse 22 and 23, he says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So he's recounting and talking about some of the early parts of the Christmas story. And what is he referring to? Well, he's referring to Isaiah chapter 7. So if you've got the Word of God with me, turn to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to spend a little bit of time there as we examine one of the promises from the Word of God. Isaiah is writing about Christmas, really, before there ever was a Christmas Again, hundreds of years, about 600 years or so before the birth of Christ. The well-known verse, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah prophesied that the virgin will give birth to a son. And that's a a part of the Christmas story. It's, It's a part of Christmas caroling. I believe it's the silent night one, right? Silent night, holy night. And a little bit later in the song, it says, Round yon virgin... Mother and child. Well, Matthew wrote about it and he specifically remarked that it fulfilled Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So, this morning, the encouragement is this: understand God's power. We just sung about the fact how great is our God. Well, he is powerful. He is mighty. We're going to understand his strength and his might. We're going to work our way through a little bit of Isaiah chapter 7 as we seek to understand his power. First of all, understand God's power and know that it's greater than our resources. Now, that might not be a revelation to us, but it should be a really good reminder to us. So check it out. Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to read verse 1. It says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jothan, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. We'll stop right there. That's enough tongue twisting for a moment. Got to let my, my mouth and tongue rest up. But What we see here are a number of individuals, a number of kings, a number of locations. And so think in this point in time, as Isaiah is prophesying, God's land is divided. There's the northern kingdom called Israel. You've got the southern kingdom called Judah, and so at the time, the northern kingdom here was ruled by Pekah, the son of Ramalia. The southern kingdom, as it says, Judah was ruled by King Ahaz. That's who we're reading about. And Isaiah is coming with a prophecy for King Ahaz, the king of the southern kingdom. So he is a brand new king. Now, when there's a new king on the throne, it's a, not a unlikely occurrence for some of the nearby nations to kind of see well what can we get away with can can we kind of push a little bit can we test a little bit are we able to kind of have our way and so what we see is israel the northern kingdom has formed an alliance with the neighboring nation of syria and they're looking to attack judah two on one not fair right so here's King Ahaz, and he's feeling a little bit overwhelmed. He's a new king. He's going to be attacked is what it sounds like. And so God is sending Isaiah to him with a message, with a know, with a prophecy, with a promise, with an encouragement. And in verse 4, he's saying, don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. That's something that God says an awful lot throughout Scripture, right? Don't lose heart. And don't be afraid. Some of you right now need to hear that. that that's not necessarily a part of the notes. That not, is not necessarily a part of the you know, resources thing. But understand, you don't need to be afraid when we consider the might and the power of our God. And so verse 4, he's saying, don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. In other words, Isaiah is encouraging and reminding him, God is your resource. You don't need to turn to others. Yes, the northern kingdom, they've gone after another nation. And now they formed two nations against you. And you seem overcome. And you seem overwhelmed. He's saying, don't worry. Don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. He even tells King Ahaz in verse 9, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Some good stuff right there. God, through Isaiah, is saying, you've got to be firm in faith. You can trust. You can believe that I've got the goods. God's got the resources that you and I need. He's got the power in our lives. So King Ahaz has a choice here. The armies of Israel and Syria are looking to attack. It's two-on-one. These are some strong and powerful forces. But God's saying, listen, I am promising deliverance if you trust in me and trust in my resources. King Ahaz had a choice to make, and that would decide the future of that nation. Who's he going to trust? What resources is he going to seek? Is he going to trust what God has, trust the resources that God has, believe that God can guide, believe that God can provide, believe that God can protect, or is he going to try to figure out how to defeat two armies with his army? So what do you think he did? Do you think he trusted? Or do you think he went and did it on his own? In the end, he didn't trust God. In the end, he didn't trust God's resources, and he tried to do it on his own. You ever try to help God out? Oh, I see some smiles. Because when I think about that, I think in my own life, there have been times when I've tried to help God out. Because either nothing's happening... And so this sure thing, it, it looks like God's providing this, so God, why aren't you acting on what sure seems to be a provision of you? So let me just take a few steps and, and jump ahead of the plan and nudge God along. Now, you, you and I, we've maybe helped a, a spouse out or helped a child out or uh, you know, helped somebody at work out. Hey, they needed a little nudge, and so we kind of give them a little nudge. Sometimes we do that intentionally or unintentionally with God. God, you're not, you're not doing anything. Nothing's happening yet. So let me just, let me give you a little nudge. Let me give you a little push forward. Let me try to help you out. And invariably, when we try to help God out, we make a bigger mess of things. So here King Ahaz he didn't trust God. He didn't trust God's resources. God said, don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. And King Ahaz, he lost heart. He became afraid, and he took matters into his own hands, and he cuts a deal with another nation in exchange for their protection. I mean, hey, Israel linked up with another nation, so I'm going to do the same. Two on two, that sounds a little more fair, right? Two-on-two in our human resources can be a blowout, whereas one-on-two trusting in the might and power and strength and provision of God can be a blowout in our favor. But the king, he didn't trust God. He didn't trust in his resources, God had given them the land, and he basically gave it away to this other nation out of fear, saying, Hey, protect us and we'll serve you, rather than serving God. Now, when Babylon later would invade, the nation that he'd made the agreement with, (laughs) nowhere to be found, they were invaded. Nebuchadnezzar eventually burned Jerusalem to the ground, and no one was there to help. You try to fix things. You you try to help God out. You try to step in with your own resources. I can do it. I've got the smarts. I've got the connections. I know someone. Ever, Ever uttered those words? Whatever it's in relation to, I know a guy. I know someone. Whatever the need is, whatever the help is, well, I know someone who can help. And invariably, we find someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows someone who somehow can help us out. And we seek out after all of the other someones instead of the number one one we ought to seek. And that's God. God is is powerful, and he has the resources. He can overcome any obstacle, any situation, any trial, any storm that we might face. Will we look to God and his power? He is greater than our resources, and he encourages us, and he calls us to seek him. You look to the resources in the the Christmas story. And certainly it's one we've read a lot, but you look at Mary and Joseph, they didn't have a whole lot of anything, right? But there was a trust in God. And here, King Ahaz had a direct message from the prophet of Isaiah saying, Listen, turn to God, don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. God's greater than any challenge that you face. He has the resources. King Ahaz made the wrong decision. I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge me to turn to God and understand he has the power. He has the resources Just a little bit ago in our prayer time, many hands were raised in this place and you said, I've got a need or somebody that I know of has a need and I don't have the resources. I'm not sure how to heal this physical body. I'm not sure how to provide for these financial difficulties. I'm not sure how to mend and restore some of these relationships. There's all kinds of things represented with that uplifted hand. And God's nudging us and encouraging us to understand his power. It's greater than any of our resources. And I know that you've got some smarts, and I know that you've got some connections, and I know that you know someone, but do you know the one? Are you turning to the one? understand his power, it's greater than our resources. Secondly, his power is greater than our unbelief. So verses 1 through 9, it's, it's God through Isaiah speaking to the king, encouraging him to turn to God and believe in his resources. In verse 10, it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Here's here's the surprising thing. Ahaz was going to make the wrong decision. Ahaz was going to turn away from God. And God graciously is saying, let me give you another chance. Before you make your decision, ask me for something. Ask me for a sign. It could be anything. It could be something as deep as Sheol. It could be something as high as heaven. Ask me anything. Now, how many, when someone says, you can have anything you want, your mind starts spinning, right? Maybe you go to a restaurant or you know, you're going out for ice cream, you're going out to eat, and they say, hey, order Anything. And you're like, anything? <laughs> like, do, do you really mean anything? Or is anything like anything from the dollar menu? Because there's like, you know, order anything that's a dollar or less, and then there's seriously anything. You know what I mean. With our girls, when it comes to Christmas, certainly they're to the point where we don't just go out and purchase things. That, you know, when they were younger... Oh, you could roam up and down Walmart and and uh, Toys R Us. Not there anymore. But oh, to roam up and down the aisles, right? Oh, this looks good. Oh, Autumn would like Brookie would like this. And you, you know, we're we're finding our our is filling up. I mean, anything about anything, you just you just get it for them when they're little. One of our all-time favorite Christmas moments. We've got it on video. Autumn was little, and we would found something. We wrapped it up. She unwrapped it for Christmas, and gracious as anything, she goes, Oh, it's what I've always wanted. It's this big smile on her face. And she followed it up with a question. What is it? They're not quite to that stage at this point. You know, in the tween years and the teenage years. So we've begun, you know, asking them for some lists. We'll say, hey, you know, make out some lists. Put anything you want on there. But understand, we might not be able to do this, or we might not be able to do it all. But you know what? We want you to, to ask. And over the years, they've had some pretty big asks, They've had some smaller asks, and, you know, we've tried to assure them, listen, we, you know, we probably can't get everything on there, but we want to know what you want, so, you know, put it down. Well, imagine God coming to you, not just for Christmas, but God coming and saying, hey, ask me for a sign. Ask me to do anything. You think you could come up with a little something? You think your mind might be spinning as to what you might want to do? Imagine the offer. Imagine some of the things that God had already done here in the Old Testament. God put the rainbow in the sky. I mean, today we look at the rainbow, and that's that's just kind of normal. But imagine God put the rainbow in the sky as a sign. God moved the shadow ten steps backward. At one point, the earth swallowed up Korah and his followers. And if you remember, Elijah and the offering and the sacrifice, fire from heaven. I mean, God had done some pretty incredible things. And so God is reaching out to Ahaz, and he says, ask me for anything. Ask me for a sign. Deep, high, wide, small, great, doesn't matter what it is. Check out what Ahaz says in verse twelve. He says, "I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test." Now, we read this, and maybe upon first glance and upon first reading, we look at that and we go, "Oh boy, boy! I'd have sure asked for something big." Boy, King Ahaz must be really spiritual. He must be. He must be really godly. He must be super. Humble to say he didn't want anything and he wouldn't put the Lord to the test. What's putting the Lord to the test? That's when you demand something of God so that you can believe God. That's putting him to the test. God, I won't believe you unless you do this putting God in the box, demanding that God do something for you, that's the test. That's testing God. Who's the one making the offer here? God. God's the one who's saying, hey, Ahaz, I'm coming to you. It's not you making the test of me. I'm saying, ask me anything. Ask me for the sign. God's basically saying, I want to show you my power. Why wouldn't you ask? Why wouldn't you ask for a sign? Why wouldn't you want to know how mighty and powerful God is? Why would he say no? More than likely, he didn't want to believe. Here's what one commentator wrote about this. He says, it's all quick thinking, diplomatic hypocrisy. He knows there are strings attached. If he lets God in, God will take control. And for Ahaz, that would mean using God's strategies to get through the crisis and giving God the glory for the outcome. So God says, ask me for a sign, and if he says, fine, I'll ask you for a sign, and God comes through, now he's on the hook to give honor and praise and glory to a God he's not been serving. Another person challenges us with this. Perhaps the most common reason people don't believe in God is this. They don't want anyone telling them what to do. Ooh, that's a big one. We don't want anyone telling us how to live our lives. But we see that today in our day and age and culture. It's whatever I want to do. I'm not not going to God for his word, his viewpoint. It's what I think. It's what I desire. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. So we look at this. And chances are, when you really dig in and you understand Ahaz is denying this opportunity, he really doesn't want to believe in God, and we might look at him and scoff or laugh or chuckle or make fun, and we say, how in the world could King Ahaz do something so foolish as that? You think we've ever done the same thing? I mean, just look at some of the promises throughout Scripture that we don't follow through with. Take one. New Testament, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. So before we get a little too mad at Ahaz, let's, let's turn the mirror around on ourselves. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. Remember the scripture? Ask and it shall be given unto you, seek and you will find. Knock. And the door's going to be opened unto you. And we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'll ask. I'll seek. I'll knock. But then we don't really ask. We don't often seek too much. And and we don't knock too much. And maybe we don't take the time to ask, seek, or knock in prayer. Because we want to turn to our own relationships and resources and The stuff, well, I can get it done. It's not that big of a deal. I'll just do it. Or it's a super big deal. I don't want to worry or bother God with it. Whatever you might call it. Many times we circumvent God. We don't ask. We don't seek. We don't knock. When he said, ask, seek, and knock. Many times we don't pray. We don't seek God. Could it be at times that you and I could be arrogant, much like King Ahaz, to say, I'll handle it myself. I'll do it myself. I'll figure it out myself. I've got the resources. I'll make it happen. We say, well, I mean, God gives what we need anyway. Our daily bread, so why even ask, seek, or knock? He'll just do it. Or again, well, don't bother him with the little things. I'll just do it myself. Now we can look at promise after promise after promise, and chances are good we'd find some we haven't followed through on. Why? We're trusting in our own resources. Maybe even at times, not believing, God's going to follow through on what he has said in his word. So By the time he gets to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 13, he says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Isaiah is a little fed up right about now. He's speaking for God to King Ahaz. Ahaz rejects him. He says, no, 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 I'm not going to ask for anything. And so God, through Isaiah, speaks again. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You don't want to ask for anything? You don't want to put God to the test? He's going to go ahead and give you a sign. He'll give the sign he wants to give. Understand the power of God. He's got the resources that we don't. And even at times when maybe we struggle in our faith, struggle in our belief, struggle to understand how this could be or how this could be, how in the world could God follow through on some of the promises he's given in his word? Understand he's got the power to do that. That's the encouragement for you and I. Understand his power. It's greater than our resources, greater than any unbelief we might exhibit. Thirdly and finally, it's greater than any impossibilities. So let's talk about it. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, the scripture we opened with at the beginning, he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. Hundreds of years before Jesus indeed was born of Virgin Mary, here is the promise. Here is the prophecy. Now, many commentators will look at this and say that there are a couple of uh, unique interpretations. One more in the immediate than one in the future sense. Certainly the future sense would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Virgin Mary giving birth to a son. Now, many commentators would look simply to a birth, a natural birth of a human son as an immediate fulfillment of this. And there's speculation. There's different commentators saying different things. But to, to give you a little bit of biblical trivia, Many would say that Isaiah's son was the fulfillment immediately. And if you want to know, Isaiah's son is the longest name in the Bible. 18 letters plus several hyphens. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So some would say that he was the immediate fulfillment, but the ultimate and prophetic fulfillment would be Jesus Christ. Born of a virgin. Now, admittedly, this makes no sense, right? Listen. No matter what society says, no matter what culture says, it takes a man and a woman to make a baby. Now, when they hear this and they say a virgin, is going to give birth to a baby, that, that just can't compute because it goes completely against biology, physiology. If you take a look at this from a human perspective, you're going you're to remove God from the equation because it is the supernatural. It is the miracle of God, and it helps us. Why? because we've got to understand his power, he's able to make the impossible possible. In fact, Luke chapter 1, nothing is impossible with God. And so Matthew and Luke, again, that's where we get the biblical scriptures here about Jesus' birth. They both are emphasizing that Mary's a virgin that Mary had not been with a man sexually. The prophecy was specific, and now both Matthew and Luke are emphasizing it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. He very specifically says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Two times in that verse or two, Matthew emphasizes she was a virgin. It's before they'd come together and she was with child through the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20, just a couple of verses below, the angel is speaking to Joseph and saying, That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Three times in just a handful of verses, Matthew is emphasizing. Exactly what Isaiah had promised and prophesied hundreds of years before. Well, how about Luke? How about Luke's gospel? Luke chapter 1, verse 26. This is the story of the angel to Mary. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Again, two more times emphasis is on that. Drop down to verse 34. And the angel's having the discussion and saying it's it's you know you're going to have a baby and Mary's like, "Listen, I know how that works and I haven't done that." Verse 34, "How will this be," Mary asked the angel, "since I'm a virgin?" Exactly what was prophesied in Isaiah. Exactly what was mentioned in Genesis, the seed of the woman. There would not be anything of a man, no human male as a part of this process. The impossible. A virgin having a baby. I mean, that's that's far beyond pigs flying. That's far beyond hell freezing over. Whatever phrase you want to use, That's right up there and surpasses them because it just boggles the mind, physiologically, biologically, how that could happen. That's the power of God. Understand that his power is greater than our impossibilities. So let me ask you this morning, what seems impossible in your life? What difficulty, what storm, what challenge, what obstacle are you facing? And he say, there's no way I can overcome this. It's impossible. As Luke chapter 1 says, nothing is impossible with God. His power, able to bring a baby out of Virgin Mary, is able to intervene in your situation. Maybe a few moments ago as we encourage you to look back and think about a testimony of how God came through in your life in in our prayer time. Maybe you're reminded about what God did, His power in your life. Maybe some of you thought back or reflected on a healing. It seemed impossible, but God healed a body. Or it seemed impossible to meet this financial need and God provided for you. Whatever the case might be, many of you might have looked back to an impossibility. And all of a sudden, because of the power of God, you were staring at the possible. And so as we take a look at the promise, Isaiah 7, 14, it points us to Jesus Christ, and it points us to the power of God. Nothing is impossible with him. Understand his power. It's greater than any resources you or I have, greater than any unbelief we often exhibit, and greater than any impossibilities you or I might face.